0: Welcome to Not Enough Champagne, a podcast that would never leave a passive-aggressive note in a co-worker's desk. My name's Corey Hazelhurst, I'm a partner of propaganda is Steve Haynes. Hi Corey. This week we're talking over Zoom, not in person. That feels appropriate because we're going to be talking about the government's odd war on working from home. series of stories dating from last year, in fact, sort of showing the government's war on home working. Back in August 2021, there was an unnamed cabinet minister who was telling the Daily Mail that people working from home should be paid less than those who were going into the office full time. As I mentioned in the introduction, referred to Jacob Rees-Mogg's odd notes that he's been putting on the desk of uh, civil servants not at their desk, sort of saying, sorry, you were out when I was visiting, which I'm sure you'll talk about in a second, Steve. And also the government, this is unbelievable, Steve, Boris Johnson going back on a promise that he made, which hasn't happened in literally hours, um, that the government was going to bring in a a right to flexible working for employees. And Labour is still committed to that, but the government sort of u turning on that. It's just a really weird mix of stories, isn't there?
1: Yeah, and a lot, awful lot of it doesn't seem to be very consistent with actually what the government is largely doing as well. So you have an awful lot of briefing about oh we need to get people back into into the office for for various reasons. I think originally the initial. Um, Kind of like excuse was, well, we need to save of Coffee and those sorts of jobs, because if, uh, if we're not in the office, then those jobs are going to go. And then they've, they've kind of spun out a load of other kind of bits and pieces here and there about it. The actual actions of the government, of government's policy, has been to sell off office buildings, cut the number of desk spaces for civil servants, actually encourage civil servants to work from home. All the while, they're briefing about doing the exact opposite and leaving passive-aggressive nonsense notes on people's hot desks um, saying, oh, I'm sorry you weren't here when I came round to speak to you. And it's like, Jacob, no one sits full-time at that desk. Literally, it could have been anybody there. So you clearly didn't pop round to speak to anybody. You were clearly just wandering around. Like, uh, what, what was the term Starmer used at PMQ yesterday? a like, uh, Something about a prefect.
0: Yes, absolutely. What, what, yeah, so or whatever I, they call prefects at Eton.
1: Yeah, it's just, just, just like a like a dodgy prefect who's uh, trying to, you know, demonstrate his power over the lower sixth form students. It's like you absolute muppet.
0: As we talked about last week uh, with a cost of living crisis, and as we'll undoubtedly talk in the future, it again feels like another example of how. Conservative, particularly conservative MPs are completely divorced from anything in the real world, essentially, uh, which is backed up, I think, with a photo in the Daily Telegraph recently of Jacob Rees-Mogg's desk, in which he has no computer, but has a, a rather large old tin, of which used to contain cabbage cream eggs, um, a few paper files and a carriage clock. And that sounds like I've just made that up because obviously, if you were to parody what would be on Boris uh, on Jacob Rees-Mogg's desk, a carriage clock would undoubtedly be one of those things.
1: I think that's staged. I I, I don't think you can actually You're get cynic. Get- Steve. I don't. I don't think you can get by being a government minister in any form in this day and age without having access to a computer pretty much all the time. Like it's just wouldn't be possible to do your job well. But then again, this is Jacob Rees-Mogg, and he's not been, been ever particularly been uh, evidence of doing anything well particularly. So maybe he is. But unless you've basically got a full-time civil servant who's just there with a BlackBerry or a secure secure mobile device kind of going, uh, Jacob, you've ha- had another email It's on this topic.
0: It's definitely not a secure BlackBerry. It's definitely done over WhatsApp. <laughs>
1: um, <laughs> oh, yeah. So I, 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 I forgot this government doesn't do actual uh, you know, data, data security.
0: I, I could well believe that Jacob Leishmog has a civil servant employed to tell him what's going on on WhatsApp. A bit like the presidential daily briefing.
1: Probably not even a, a civil servant. It's probably his own personal uh, personal servant.
0: But, uh, that Jacob Rees-Mogg was the leader of the House and did it so appallingly, terribly that they had to remove him from that just for the, the sake of most MP sanity. But they couldn't sack him, so they've given him a position. I, I think Brexit opportunities and government efficiency.
1: Yeah, um, it's a nonsense position. It doesn't exist. Like, this is like the third or fourth time they've relaunched the notion of the bonfire of red tape and, and things about, about that for the bringing about the benefits of Brexit. And it's like, you've launched it three or four times, and the multiple prime ministers at this point, I feel like you still haven't found anything because there's very little actually there that's meaningful that isn't also going to be widely unpopular.
0: I think it is, though. Like levelling up, it's an example of Yes Minister's Law of Inverse Relevance, which is the the less you intend to do about something, the more you have to keep on talking about it. Yeah, So in this vague hope that maybe we'll
1: find something. Similarly to the Northern Ireland Protocol. (laughs) Well, we'll keep on banging on about it. We're definitely going to submit something to Parliament any day now. We've we've got it drafted. We're going to submit it. We're going to submit it. But we're not actually...
0: It's actually hidden behind their plan for social care, which Boris Johnson was going to unveil when he became Prime Minister. Yeah. The interesting thing, just reading about working from home for this episode, is I hadn't quite appreciated how much of the workforce was working from home already before the pandemic. Uh, So the figures say it was 27%. Of the workforce working from home at, at some point i suppose yeah. i realized actually as a teacher i've already done quite a lot of working from home at the weekend with reports and marking and goodness knows what that increased 37 percent in 2020 because of the pandemic and now you've got 85 percent of workers wanted to continue in some form but not exclusively working from home um you at uh, some uh, a hybrid system and as you've sort of already hinted certainly in the civil service this is a trend that's been happening for years, anyway, with closing down the offices, selling them off, all that sort of stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean, this, this, I mean, even if you look beyond the civil service, this has a, been a, a, a kind of a, a trend which, in in the private sector, has been kind of like a talking point of something that was coming slowly over time that more and more people would be kind of wanting flexible working hours more and more people would be looking to work from home or sometimes some days you're in the office some days you're not all of these different things um like i've like in in my last job which, which i started about eight years ago now like i remember working on marketing campaigns for companies that are kind of basically do what what zoom does and what microsoft teams does and things but they're like their own proprietary software and things and we were talking about this back then this was content that we produced was all about flexible working how do you bring you know how do you make these sorts of things work so it's been on the kind of like the, the the back burner for the private sector and I would assume also to a degree for the uh, public sector as well for, for quite a while. It's just one of those situations where the pandemic just made what would have been a gradual shift happen immediately. So, yeah, this isn't new. By any stretch of the imagination, pretty much all of the arguments for and against it have been kind of rehashed multiple times in terms of articles in business magazines, uh, online debates, uh, on social media uh, groups, as well as discussion boards, all of these things. So watching the government kind of be basically being about eight years behind everywhere else is quite entertaining in one in in one regard especially as as somebody working in the private sector i can say that the private sector is just going to ignore them because you are already in a position where from a recruitment perspective there are a uh, there are a lot of jobs which before were quite easy to to fill but with a lot of like eastern european in particular migrants leaving after we've left the eu we're now struggling to fill those roles and so bargaining power for um, employees has increased so prices uh, so wages are going up in a lot of sectors you're also seeing as a result of that more of a focus on delivering benefits and flexible working hours and working from home and actually giving people what they want so like this is a, an argument the government is going to lose like they cannot win this because the, the because the private sector fundamentally is not interested in actually going back to the office space because one employees don't want it and at the moment it's quite an uh, employee a lot of power is in employee hands when it comes to recruitment Um, and also two it's a hell of a lot cheaper if they don't necessarily have to you know uh, have really expensive offices and things like that now there might be a case for bigger kind of corporations that own a lot of property and own like a really big campus and things like that they might want to Make sure they're getting use out of that in some form, but your average business which rents its office space doesn't matter to them. Like it helps them save money.
0: There's a lot of interesting stuff in that. Uh, something just to add, I think, to to changing work patterns. Something that is happening, uh, which I think is sort of underreported but a bit of a slow burner. The amount of people who've taken early retirement has massively increased as well and yep. that's one reason why you have these uh increasing job vacancies and as you say i think part of the, i think at the moment you've got more job vacancies than there are people unemployed but it's obviously it's not just a case of putting worker just, you know, round peg worker into <laughs> square hole of a job that's not quite how it works is it you know given you know look at the 80s when we had Margaret Thatcher appears to have assumed you could sack all the coal miners and retrain them as investment bankers. That isn't really quite what happened. Um, but you've got, also got areas like, say, Hull, which is trying to rebrand itself as the capital of, of co-working hubs. So it, it, you have it's not a zero-sum game. It's not that we're either going to have to work. That, I mean, this is the, obviously in the pandemic. It was we are working from home five days a week, but it's not return to the office five days a week. You might spend a couple of days there. You might spend two or three. And so there are a lot of issues. And if you sort of read the articles about working from home during 2020, there's a lot about the sort of Zoom fatigue, a lot about su- support for people's mental health, working at, at home, especially if they're living alone. And it's not obviously that those problems go away if you're in a sort of hybrid working environment, but it become, it becomes less stark, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I'm in a quite a, a, a good position to kind of talk on this topic in in that I I I live alone, like I work from home. I'm we're we're doing this 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 episode on over over the internet due to scheduling, and uh, I'm in my home office where I spend pretty much every day nine till five um, on my own, other than when my boss phones me or I've got a client call. So, like. Absolutely, there is a definite issue in terms of mental health and how businesses can support um, people. Equally, there's going to be some fun and games coming in regards to cost of living as well, where before, like we've been kind of, but like I, I think the, uh, the the increase in that, that we've been modelling of £600 additional cost to, to, to energy bills a year is probably a bit of an underestimate for a lot of people potentially, because an awful lot of people are going to be working from home in winter. Which means you're going to be going from a situation where you didn't have the heating on at all to where you've got to have the heating on all day, so you've got that as a potential issue as, as well. And then also from the business side, which again I've, I've been uh, quite—it's been quite interesting to experience that as a as a as a manager—is um, that there are issues with it from from the business perspective as well. We've got new starters I've never met face to face, so I don't have the same kind of bond with them as as we do, and we try and alleviate that, but. it's hard to build a camaraderie with someone over over a zoom call you can chat and and joke but it's not it's not the same it it never will be you've got issues around how do you kind of train people up effectively because an awful lot of knowledge uh, in an office environment is passed almost by osmosis it's an issue comes up and then it's just you turn to the person next to you and go how do I solve this and you go oh it's this and then they know what they're doing that's not really feasible when you're working from home. Uh, it has to be a much more formalised thing, which means things take longer and it, it, it's just not as as fluid. And that means productivity drops a little bit as a result. So there are definitely things to look at.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It, what strikes me is often, especially in in-person meetings, it's those quick chats you can have with people after the meeting, or just yeah. you can stick a piece of paper with them and say, is this all right? And it yeah. takes two seconds. Whereas... When everything was done remotely, it's this sort of laborious sign-off that everything almost has to be done in writing. There's other things as well you, you could think about. If people are only commuting two or three days a week rather than four or five days a week, do um, you have to think about how train tickets are going to change, given that, again, that's quite a timely story, given inflation this week has reached 9%, if that's the benchmark that the government uses to increase train ticket prices lots of knock-on figures there you talked about mental well-being but also health and safety as well and sort of data management are two big issues
1: yeah the health and safety one's been an interesting one for us to kind of like go through because when we first moved to um to, to home working like we were basically had to go through and do like a a home assessment of everything and it is it is something that I think an awful lot of businesses, like businesses, sort of take well, well, will take seriously on the business level, but I don't think employees will take it seriously when they're actually going through and mitigating their own uh, their own home for these sorts of things because they just go, "I'm working from home, of course, everything's fine." Um, so there is some potential fun and games there, I think, and the data, the data protection is going to be. I'm, I'm just waiting for the first, my uh, my supposedly secure laptop was uh, connected up to my insecure home Wi-Fi network and somebody's hacked into it and now suddenly they've got access to, I, I don't know, uh, benefits data or something like that coming out of the, out of the home office. Or the DWP, rather.
0: Uh, but in the past, they've just left it on a train, so...
1: It's true. It's it, it, it progress of sorts, I guess.
0: <laughs> That's one way of looking at it. Other issues that you might have to... It, ha, government a, a more competent government uh, that cared about this stuff might want to try and address are, are the inclusivity and equality aspects. So again, if you look at the articles from 2020, what seems to have happened as a result of working from home is that women tend to have had to pick up slack on doing more housework, doing more childcare, A survey um, that was done of Canadian and Australian academics and they found that um, female academics would generally ended up facing increased teaching loads, did more administration work more often than men, and also were more likely to spend less time on research than men as well. So that's just one example, but it seems to bear out a wider trend. And that is something... Uh, which, again, the government needs to think about how you can make it more inclusive. And instead of that, we've got Jacob Rees-Mogg putting notes on people's desks when actually they could well be in the office and just at a meeting.
1: <laughs> no, let's, let's, let's not downplay it. The, the, their argument is not just uh, coming from Jacob Rees-Mogg. It's coming from Boris Johnson as well, who's dis- decided working from home isn't, isn't practical or feasible at all because you just spend your time doing a little bit of work and then going to grab some cheese from the fridge which I feel like says more about John, uh, Boris Johnson than it does about anything else.
0: Well, it's government by whimsical Daily Telegraph column, isn't it? But yeah. I can see, I can't help but notice, Steve, that Boris Johnson is our Prime Minister, as yeah. I have to remind myself every day in between the tears. He literally works from home.
1: Yeah, even in normal times, he would be working from home. Yeah, absolutely. Indeed. I hadn't even thought of it like that. They set up a whole series
0: of... Corridors and buildings and rooms, so that he could work from home. I mean, in a way, it explains a lot.
1: Yeah, it,
0: it kind of does. We don't have a plan for social care because I got distracted eating cheese. Instance, cheese is amazing.
1: Cheese is great. Like I will like I probably have consumed far much more far more cheese over the past couple of years than I have in any previous years because I've I've been at home all the time. So I can like there's there's some sympathy there, but also I've been eating cheese whilst I've been working because they're not mutually exclusive you can nibble on stuff whilst also typing out emails or you know, I, I running think, analysis
0: i think it's more that boris johnson as a big practicer of mindfulness probably wants to be eating his cheese. moment yeah time stops for those precious few seconds when you're munching on your edam and just you know it's the first bite
1: i was gonna say it's just one good moment throughout the day yeah Absolutely. and Again,
0: so this is part of the problem is that Boris Johnson is fundamentally unserious yeah. and you have a... Well, so, so the thing is, imagine... I think it's symptomatic of a much wider trend, actually, because, again, let's play the game. Imagine if Labour had won the 2019 election and a Labour government was doing this. And I had to look up who the shadow business secretary was. It was Rebecca Long-Bailey who was a shadow in 2019, so presumably Rebecca Long-Bailey, who's the government minister, going round, leaving notes on civil servants' desk asking where you are. And I just, just imagine if it was a Jeremy Corbyn Labour government that was trying to dictate to businesses and civil servants how they should work and trying to micromanage their working day.
1: Oh, absolutely! Like, just, just, just in, in, in general, like the, the act of uh, Jeremy Corbyn or indeed any Labour government, I suspect, like legislating to make it easier to have flexible working or work, have working from home being a, a right in certain in certain instances or whatever, like would be met with absolute like venom in the right wing press.
0: I think it's also that actually, if a Labour government was doing what Jacob Rees-Mogg had done, if a Labour government was trying to say to businesses. We are going to make you come into the office, come what may, and we're not going to provide any support for this. Yeah, this would have been this would be seen as ultimate socialist nanny state intervention. Jeremy Corbyn knows best. What's Rebecca Long Bailey doing? The, the, the outcry would be insane, and it's almost because actually, again, Steve Richards has made the point a couple of times. We mentioned it on the podcast that in terms of Johnson's government's view of Brexit is quite a Benite view that you can sort of uh wall yourself off from your big trading partners and make up the difference by producing stuff in in the uk and this feels quite similar to that but for all you know the Rishi Sunak this week trying to talk about how he's going to help businesses by cutting taxes and the government's going to get 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 out of the way and let businesses drive forward and help the cost of living crisis well this isn't what the government's actually doing instead they rather than try and support businesses in any of the issues to, to addressing the issues with working
1: at home we've talked about instead they're just being
0: micromanaging
1: in my experience micromanagement comes from people who know that they are they are they need to do something to make themselves look busy but it's because actually their day-to-day they're not actually doing the, the, anything meaningful and I say this is basically coming from having to having had to work with lots of different like companies, the companies that were always the worst to deal with from, from my perspective have been when you're dealing with some mid-level manager who's just trying to put their stamp on everything, even though they've got nothing to do with the actual process or, or, or anything. And they're doing it because they know that actually they need to demonstrate they are doing something because their role isn't necessarily actually needed in a lot of instances. And I think, it's a similar kind of mindset here in that the government has gone, we can't do anything on Brexit. We, we, they don't either. Can't, they can't, quote unquote, or won't uh, do anything on cost of living or they can't agree what they need to do on cost of living. And so and the, they've just got issue after issue. They just can't or won't do anything on. And so they're just left with, well, how do we make it look like we're doing something? This is something. And it at least kind of fits in a certain view of what conservatism is and therefore we shall be sure to go and and focus on that
0: yeah it's a government that i think that's a really good point it's a government that's run out well that it's it's,
1: it's not being run it's a government that exists
0: i was gonna say run out of ideas um or as you say he's got all these big things coming down the track and so dominic cummings for it was he has expressed the theory on twitter that actually one of the reasons why boris johnson has this war on working from home, is in response not to newspaper editors and newspaper front pages, but to newspaper owners who apparently are ringing him up and saying, you need to do something about this. I'm not quite sure what to think about that, because I feel like Cummings is just an inherently unreliable narrator. I find it hard to believe Rupert Murdoch phoning up Boris Johnson and saying, we've not got enough commuters buying The Times.
1: Yeah, I don't don't think it would be about, oh, people aren't buying our on newspapers in, in that kind of way it would be more about what additional investments do they have what property holdings do they have do they own a load of office space which was being rented out and then and is now struggling that could be the sort of thing i could see somebody like murdoch or the barclays or, or, or whoever uh, having uh, an interest in and that maybe being the sort of thing which leads them to go hey hey hey, hey mr johnson can you can you maybe do something about this and get people back in in some form? And the thing is, though, and, and and this is what really kind of kind of annoys me the most is that actually, give it a bit of time and people will get back into the office. It will just be in a way that's more suitable for them and actually is more 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 reasonable. I've already had conversations in work with people, and these are this isn't like management. This is like junior level employees who are like actually miss being in the office it was good to get out of the house they don't want to go back full time but being able to go back into the office um is something they're kind of wanting to happen so it is going to happen because an awful lot of places will have enough people that will want want to want to make it work in some form so just just support them in making that happen and you can kind of make everybody happy
0: absolutely and it, it is already happening i think if you if i think as you say, if we are in a situation where it's going to be a bit of a hybrid, people might work from home one, maybe two days a week, then, and actually the knock-on of you don't have to have a long commute, it could mean that actually, again, if if you're a government that was serious about levelling up or wanting to um, boost places like Hull, Grimsby, who are trying to sort of make remote working work and talk about remote hubs, it makes it easier actually to not just have to live in London. You can sort of live in smaller towns. You can live anywhere. Yeah, you could live in the
1: Orkney Isles and still work a, a London-based job.
0: Yeah. You might have, okay, a lot of press in city centres might have trade affected, but actually local independent shops in your high street are sort of in trade increased, and that's actually quite a good thing. Yeah. And
1: instead...
0: Just to you know, talk about what the government's actually going to do on the cost of living. Apparently, that the latest wheeze to fix the cost of living crisis is to cut the cost of government, Steve, by axing ninety-one thousand civil service jobs.
1: When you've only got one tool, everything looks like a nail, doesn't it? It's it's absolutely it depends ridiculous.
0: Of the, depends if the tool's a hammer, that doesn't it? Because if it was a spanner,
1: well, I mean, they are a bunch of spanners, but um, that's a separate thing. Um, but yeah but yeah it's just absolutely ridiculous oh we've got this issue well clearly the solution is to make cuts you 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 are at least on on the surface meant to be kind of like talking about solving a lot of very difficult problems and you're saying you can do that you you like and you're struggling to come up with policy things anyway and you're saying you can solve those problems with even less support than you have currently and currently what you're doing is pretty lackluster if you're being generous so what's this just reeks of ah, you know the civil service it's 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 the you know they're they're the enemy within well we can cut them let's see how they like that and it's like no 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 the enemy within is your own bloody cabinet because they're not very good (laughs) well
0: uh, 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 Sam freeman an interesting thread says that actually Half of civil servants now are working in job centres or prisons or for HMRC. It's not like you're going to get rid of Sir Humphrey Appleby. Um, indeed, I'm sure there's a yes minister on this exact topic, in which basically the cabinet secretary at the time says, You just reclaim, you just say they're not civil servants and take them on the, off the books. And actually, most of the rest then work for the Ministry of Defence so, and for civil service support in the army. You're probably not going to cut either. We talked last week about how the, the Conservatives are talking about trying to fight the 2015 general election all over again, and this feels like them trying to do exactly the same thing, except that the public attitude on austerity and good government spending is completely different. You know, we are in a situation where actually the government ha- that government services have been cut to the bone, and there really isn't anything that you are going to cut for online services if you start imposing further cuts. And just attitudes to government spending are very, very different. There's very few things we that link the 2017 and 2019 elections, but I think one of them is actually that people quite like want the government to spend some money.
1: Yeah, not I mean, cut. and equally, pretty easy to make a case that anything that you are cutting probably has an impact on cost of living somewhere for someone. So, and if you're failing to, to address that, major core issue anyway you're all you're doing is just creating more and more ammunition to be held against you so yeah you the only tool you've got is a load of shears so you're cutting everything but it's just making your situation worse from the from the political standpoint because it's like you're going to end up with a load of stories of you know xyz has happened this has been cut and look at these poor people who were reliant on it and how it's impacted on their daily life in a way that didn't necessarily happen more widely d- during like peak austerity years from simply because like the cost of living crisis is something that everybody kind of is affected by so everything that kind of happens if you can link it back to it they go well oh, no, the government should have done more about this austerity up until now has been something that has happened to some people but not others When you have austerity in the middle of the cost of living crisis, everybody can recognise the issues and everybody can go, yeah, no, that that doesn't work. They're not actually helping people here.
0: I think we might return to this issue.
1: I suspect we will do. But in the
0: meantime, we'll be putting episodes out on our Patreon page, won't we, Steve?
1: Uh, yeah, you can head over to uh, patreon.com slash champagne, where but for a few pounds every month, you can gain access to some uh, unique episodes and uh, content, which go out to our backers over there.
0: Our website is notenoughchampagne.com. Our Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash notenoughchampagne. Uh, James Cram designed the logo. You can follow him on Twitter at James Cram. Dave Depper, Compose, I think you can book good times. I'm at Paperback Rioter.
1: I'm at Acoustic Radical.
0: Happy plotting.